0: Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net Episode 20 Replace Small Schools with Hubs. Part 3 This is part three of our episode where I try to understand small schools in the last episode, or last part of our episode, part two, we left ourselves into a bit of a, a quandary, a bit of a stalemate, uh, when we were looking at the IPPN's 2004 paper, which gave several suggestions uh, regarding the future of small schools, uh, with a view to saving them from uh, closing down. Um, unfortunately, their conclusions were to f- go for the path of the least resistance as policy, and in 2005, which is still their policy, informal clustering between schools. Now. If you are interested in going further back, in part one of our episodes, part two was about that. Part one uh, was all about giving a bit of an introduction to small schools, their history, and a rationale as to why we really actually need to do something to save them. Be, and doing nothing isn't going to work. And um, this is part three, where we're going to focus on the recent small school symposium, and we'll look at a, a newspaper article following that too. And then finally, in the next part, the final part of our um, of our, of this episode, I'm going to share my own ideas and see if we, see if it could go anywhere in order to save small schools. So let's get started on this third part of the podcast, um, which is uh, the small schools symposium. As I said, we left our last part in a bit of a stalemate. The IPPN recommended that small schools would continue doing what they said they'd all be, they'd been doing all along, and that was informal cluster arrangements. So effectively, there was no change. And what has happened basically since two thousand and five, since that policy of doing nothing different and keep going with informal clusters well the statistics page from the Department of Education basically tells us in bare terms in 2003 this is uh, this is just before the paper there were 702 primary schools with less than 50 pupils very small schools in 2019 there's only 578 In 2003, there were 989, nearly a 1,000 schools with just less than 100 pupils, more than 50, less than 100. In 2019, it's down to 693. Basically, in schools with four or fewer teachers, since this report and the subsequent stalemate, 420 schools are no longer there. I realise not all of them have closed, some have increased in size and are no longer small schools, but the point remains that the death of the small school is happening And it's happening much quicker than maybe we anticipated. 420 schools in 15 years. Let's put that another way. That's 13%, nearly one in six of small, more than one in six of small schools no longer exist in 15 years based on a policy of informal clustering, basically doing nothing different. Just think how many heartbeats of communities no longer are beating now. Just as well, then that there was a small school symposium this year then, no? Well, on the 26th of June, 2019, just a few weeks ago, uh, well, at this time of recording, sure enough, the big lads saw fit not to bother with actual principals and descended to meet, uh, descended uh, somewhere, I don't know where they met, actually, to be honest with you, there, to decide what should be done with the old small schools. Well, I'm going to go through some of the key points from each of the agencies that had representations and then basically published something before I basically wrote this podcast episode. The government were first um, with their press release, which is basically written on the day of the symposium. So there's no mention of any outcomes, Uh, but basically their press release seems to want to tell everyone how brilliant they are. They're great. Uh, Much like everything these days from the government, there's a lot of text, but they don't actually say anything in it. However, this is all we have from the government. And the first thing you'll notice is that it defines small schools as those having four mainstream teachers or fewer which is 44% of all primary schools. And they note that only 14.5% of primary age uh, children attend these schools. I don't know why they put that as a point, but it's a point anyway. They then break down the numbers and note there's a number of island schools that get together, to get basically get to be two teacher schools. And next they talk about how awesome they are. And this forms basically the rest of the press release. And some of the new initiatives they have taken in recent years to support small schools include reduction in staffing and pupil teacher ratios, i have to i laughed a little bit when i when i heard them self-congratulating themselves saying that the current teacher allocation ratio in all primary schools are now at the most favorable ever seen at primary level there is no word of course that it's still one of the highest ratios in the oecd but anyway that, that aside it's the best ever um other improvements include the appointment of a second teacher where the school is the sole primary school on an island and a mechanism whereby one teacher school with an enrollment of 15 or more pupils across six—it's too complicated anyway. They could basically, if you're if you're a one teacher school, you can apply to the Department of Education for extra people. Uh, for uh, but they won't give you a person if you're not on an island. What they'll do is they give you extra money and you hire a person uh, for a bit of the day anyway one teacher schools basically have to write to the Department of Education to determine if there's a possible gap in uh, having a second adult present for the duration of the school day. Um, And uh, basically, the present of a second adult helps to address health and safety concerns. Uh, And where they've identified a gap, I mean, this is ridiculous stuff, um, I, I just don't want to finish that sentence uh, it's too ridiculous anyway I was interested in the next one and I, I don't know anyone doing this a pilot shared governance structure is in place since 2015 I've actually never heard of anyone doing this having basically shared boards of management And it has been agreed to continue to allow schools operate this arrangement on a voluntary and pilot basis during the four-year term up to 2023 So basically, um, they're extending this pilot, which I've never heard of, uh, and I don't know if anyone's taken up. I presume it has. Uh, Basically, the pilot allows two schools, which are under the same patronage, to operate a shared governance arrangement subject to the agreement of the patron. And while each board operates as a separate legal entity, um, the benefit of a shared governance arrangement is that the same group of people are managing issues that arise in a consistent manager in each of the two schools. Ultimately, it doesn't seem like an improvement, but it's certainly a step in the right direction it's not a step in the right direction it's a step in the idea of the Swedish model where we have a governance of a few schools clusters of schools anyway they also go on about school buildings being allowed to be used for uh, outside school time I'm fairly sure they don't own the vast majority of small schools because they're old buildings so I think they're owned by the church so I have absolutely no idea where they're going to go with that one but in fairness it's something that is part of my own proposal uh, later on to save small schools too so I have to let them away with it but the most laughable one is their support for school leaders and this is what they have to offer the small school principal. This is it. This is it. School leaders have a key role to play in determining the shape of our schools and student outcomes. Recent developments including coaching and mentoring for school leaders and proposed changes to the appointment procedures for principals in primary schools are designed to further develop our leaders of learning. Yeah, mentoring. Not extra release time. Not extra resourcing. No reduction of workload. It gets worse. They say they're increasing funding. Obviously, that's good news, isn't it? Well, however, funding was originally cut by 15% a few years ago from a very low base anyway. So the increase of 5% is, 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 it's not really an increase. It's a restoration, maybe a partial restoration, which in fact, in fairness to them, they admit it's a partial restoration of the grant. But they say it is like a big positive thing. I just don't understand it. Anyway, finally, they mentioned the student and parent charter, which they really should have left out because it's actually not an improvement uh, they've made um, because it isn't happening uh, yet. Um, so it's irrelevant. Uh, anyway, that's it. So basically they aren't offering any ideas. They're simply stating how great they are. So that's the Department of Education. I'd say you're enthusiastic to hear the rest. We'll move on to our friends in the INCO, and John Boyle, who is uh, our new uh, overlord uh, of the um, INCO, gave his remarks after it. And it's important to note that John Boyle is the head of the INCO. He is not a politician, I need to repeat, he is not a politician. His job is to give the government a very hard time on behalf of small schools. So let's see how he did. Well, he opens up with a rather chummy uh, kind of phrase. 15 weeks ago, Minister McHugh and I were informally chatting at the International Summit on the Teaching Profession in Helsinki as you do. Minister McHugh and I reminisced fondly about the small schools we had attended in Donegal and we both acknowledged that small schools have a very particular challenges to meet nowadays. We got the bright idea that we should have a symposium to discuss how best small schools could be supported in the future and I want to thank Minister McHugh and everyone in the Department of Education and Skills who have worked so hard to make this symposium happen. Oh my He spends the next while saying nothing except for one bit, which doesn't sit well with me. And this is what he says. Small, intimate learning communities where all students are known and encouraged have more parental involvement, fewer discipline problems and reduced negative effects from socioeconomic factors and poverty. This is what he defines as small schools. And surely all schools should be this way. And it seems ridiculous to suggest that they are very that they are very important because of this. And I keep getting diverted by statements pitting small schools against big ones. And I will point them out as they come. I'm not going to go on too much about them, but I don't think this is very, very good. I don't think it's a very good thing to pit big schools against small schools. I don't think there's any point in comparing them even uh, to basically say, well, this is good here, here, and here. But, you know, because... What that does is it's a divide and con- whoops, it's a divide and conquer uh, strategy, which which is very effective, I know, but it's not useful to save small schools. All it does is it annoys um, the other side, or whatever the other side might be. Anyway, we finally get to his first point, and it is in the INTO's view, the first key step in supporting small schools is to return teacher appointment figures to where they were before the recession. Fifty-three pupils in a two-teacher school and eighty-three pupils in a three-teacher school are simply too many we need to get to a place where small schools can appoint a third teacher at 48 pupils and a fourth at 78 good god there it is the first step in the right direction as i outlined in episode, in part one of this it is absolutely the right direction of a sticky plaster look i have to resign myself to accepting it doesn't really matter about facts it doesn't actually do any harm either reducing pupil teacher ratio in small schools do you know what you can reduce them to one to one ratio for all I care because it's not it isn't going to make any difference whatsoever. And anyway, it's not going to do any harm. So do you know what? Let's let's let them away. Anyway, thankfully it isn't all he said. You'll never guess what the second one was. Actually, you will. You will. Yeah. It's it's one admin day per week. I mean I mean sorry, one leadership and management release day per week. One admin day per week, which seems to be the new way of saying the same thing, except making it out to be progress or something. I I, I don't really I r I don't really know. Anyway. Step in the right direction. He also mentions the Benchmarking Award for Principles, which is interesting, almost as an aside or a nod to the National Principles Forum. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe why he said this. This was not on their agenda until the National Principles Forum brought it up. Anyway, let's move on to another piece of mixed metaphor. He said, No man is an island. No island is an island. Islands are not anyway he possibly figures out what he's tra- I, I, he figures out what we're trying to say basically there should be no such thing as a one teacher school um and that schools on islands shouldn't close under any circumstances and they should all have two teachers in fact schools not on islands uh, should also have two teachers there should not be one teacher schools no man is not no island um, there should be no anyway he then looks for better pupil teacher ratios for small schools uh, I, I guess that's fair enough but it still doesn't solve the problem he then goes on about the pilot scheme of substitute panels for rural areas which is fine and then he says every small school should have access and I, I that's a very little, I don't like that word access the NCSE use it all the time but anyway to a secretary and a caretaker now both of these things already happen basically I wonder if he meant sharing them because a cluster of schools which is a good idea or that all schools should get full-time secretaries and caretakers I'm not really sure that word access is very very interesting and pff I don't know how deliberate it was, but anyway, it's interesting. Then, for some reason, and I really don't get why the union do this, he feels the need to thank the government for the breadcrumbs they've offered since 2012. He says, it has to be acknowledged that since the drastic cuts were imposed on small schools in 2012, some provision has been made for island schools, minority faith schools and Gwaeltuk schools on the grounds of geographical, religious and linguistic needs. These schools are very important to rural communities and must continue to receive support. Anyway, finally, he makes some good points in his closing remarks. We need to rethink uh, how we organise small schools and we need to strengthen the links between early childhood care providers. That's about it. Very little in the way of ideas, I suppose. Um... Ah, well, anyway, let's move on. CPSMA, the Catholic Managing Body, who, in fairness, and I have to put my hand up, I may not be very much in favour of denominational education, but the CPSMA, they they can manage schools. They manage their schools really well and in fairness to them, they are not, um, I know they, r- they run uh, over 90% of schools so, they, so it's easy It's easy enough for them to uh, help out other patri- minority patron bodies but they are, in fairness, they don't have to and they're very generous in that regard. Um, so anyway, Uh, they generally make a lot of sense when they're not defending Catholicism is what I'm trying to say the CPSMA (laughs) General Secretary Seamus Mulcrony spoke and in fairness they are very succinct in the report and a lot of these places could learn a lot from the CPSMA this is basically their entire uh, press release this is what they want These are the demands. Full restoration of the pupil teacher ratio for schools of um, four four and under to the pre-2012 levels. Same as John Boyle up there. Provision for at least one leadership admin day for teaching principals. Fine, same as John Boyle. All small schools with uh, special classes attached must have an admin status for principalship. Totally agree. Uh, Funding for a minimum of 20 hours secretarial support per week must be provided to all schools at civil service rates yes i i agree with that uh, i i go i go more into that to be honest i'd go, go further uh full restoration of the capitation grant and a planned schedule of increases in the future i agree with it but i don't know if it will save a small school the requirement for an eight member board of management be changed to a four member board in the case of two teacher schools um don't know if i agree with that substitute cover must be provided and funded by the department of education because for all teacher absences Okay, I don't know how that's going to save small schools. Supply panels must be extended nationwide to ensure provision of substitute cover for teacher absences. Okay, again, same. um, And the continuation of principal release time posts to allow for substitute cover for these days. Look, I admire the succinct nature of this press release. There you go, it's really short. But I was really disappointed to see that there's really nothing particularly creative here to help save small schools. It's kind of unlike the CPSMA in a way to be not creative. It's almost all about restoring cuts. Now, I do agree with the secretary support, but I suggest all schools should have DES paid secretaries. I don't see what having a four-member board of management will uh, do to improve anything for small school survival. And similarly, subcover and pretty much all the rest will do nothing to keep small schools from closing. At least they were succinct, I guess. At least they were succinct in their um, in their points um, unlike their Protestant friends who are next with a very long document with academic references oh pages of them at the end none of which I'll read but it's written by Anne Lodge uh, from the Protestant branch of DCU the supposedly secular university but anyway that's another episode <laughs> sorry I, I have to go I, I, whenever DCU is mentioned when it comes to teacher training I, um, I have to make sure that I make the point that it is no longer a secular university um, but it gets straight to the point basically and uh, this is what they say and uh, this is the, um, their their um, their first paragraph. The General Synod Board of Education, representing the primary schools under Church of Ireland Methodist Presbyterian Society of Friends patronage, welcomes the Department of Education and Skills symposium on small Skills There you go. They welcome it. Why? Well, the second sentence gets gets to the reason. Seventy nine percent of the network of primary schools under Church of Ireland Methodist Presbyterian of, of that basically Protestant patronage are designated as small schools of four classroom teachers or less nearly four out of five right so that doesn't really actually answer the question fully sentence three the general synod board of education is particularly pleased to note the department of education skills acknowledge the positive contribution that small schools make to those who learn in them and to the communities they serve i don't know i mean i don't know what's it saying really. We'll see what the rest of the paper says. Basically, the idea of this paper seems to look internationally and frame them in the context of countries like Sweden, Finland and England who have seen small schools as politically and culturally important to support rural and isolated communi- co- communities and have taken steps to actively support them. They accuse Ireland of basically framing small schools in terms of the cost um, so citing the value for money report which is fair enough um, because that was undertaken by the Department of Education uh, during uh, the height of the recession uh, and basically, this I think this is the, the, the stick that um all of these um agencies are beating the department for, and rightly so. I mean, gosh, I I, I certainly don't, and I'm really not interested in the uh, economic uh, argument anyway. It's it's no, it's not the main reason. Uh, you could throw infinite money at small schools, and it wouldn't save them right now. Uh, the next sentence actually pleased me because so far I am in that loathsome group that simply cannot understand the unique nature of small schools. I I, I came to that conclusion in the previous part of this episode. And Lodge says that groups representing teachers and principals have tended to focus on the stresses or challenges associated with teaching or leading small institutions and, 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 and while it's undoubtedly important to highlight the challenges facing the employed in this such setting, the lack of more wide-ranging research focusing on teaching and learning as experienced by all members of the school community has framed small schools as both expensive and negative. So effectively, everything I have been researching has actually been framed in that manner, in fairness. So logic is actually going to try and convince us now of a more rounded story to frame our eventual solution. I'm really pleased. I'm actually excited now. The first example actually irks on me though <laughs> because it pits small schools against big schools. I, it's just really noisy. She cites some academic who found that children learning in small schools were happier than their peers in larger schools. Like, it's not true because, you know, I mean, because 2019 studies said they're not like they're fine they're the same more useful though in terms of research is there's no evidence that children's learning is negatively impacted in small schools but i don't recall anyone disputing that in the last 50 years anyway uh from uh, I, I think in the 1960s they tried to they tried to say that no it, it isn't true and all the research that I, anyway that i found uh supports that view that there is no difference in academics uh, which is fine and anyway it's it's it, i'm not trying to i'm not trying to argue that against closing small schools i'm arguing about trying to save small schools the main focus moves on to a study from 2016 from herself yeah she's quoting herself and some other researcher um who was uh, i think second um, um, on, on on the paper, she was number one. Uh, the person number two. I don't know if that was due to do with surnames. Um, where they spent loads of time examining small schools. Now they noted the caring ethos, the tendency for there to be a family atmosphere, and the relatively limited negative discipline and the limited extent of bullying. And classroom observation showed highly organised classroom where there was a lot of independent learning by children as the teacher worked with different groups in the one room. They also observed peer learning where children worked together and taught each other. And basically, again, this is just pitting them against big schools it doesn't make a difference to how do we save small schools the next is basically match the very same challenges that lodge was criticizing a few sentences ago teachers in small schools identified significant additional workload and blah 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 lodge moves on to criticizing this one fits all approach which ireland can certainly not be accused of i i can't really understand how irish academics would say the irish system is a one fits all uh, system it's it's I, I given the complete mad complexity of our system anyway however this is the allegation thrown out not just by her by some of the other agencies and her basically her suggestion is similar change the mindset towards the curriculum to a more spiral one which is which is bizarre because weirdly that's exactly how the 1999 curriculum is 20 years old now at this stage and in fairness she does note uh, that it is 20 years old and it does it is a spiral curriculum but she seems to criticize book companies for why that's not happening Book companies aren't forcing teachers not to teach a spiral curriculum seriously anyway she goes on there needs to be innovative approaches to sharing of resources in local areas however they were also clear that clustering or sharing of resources expertise and collegiality needs to respect the autonomy and integrity of individual schools read stay out of our Church of Ireland schools Um, this is a concern that will be shared by the Board of Education which acknowledges the model of sharing resource personnel for example but many problems associated with and uh, basically they'd be very concerned to hear of shared boards of management um, because principals uh, would be run ragged I don't understand um, why that would be, um, and basically uh, schools that weren't the base school would be uh, would lose status. There is that word again, status. The key word I think, loss of status, is really jumping out at me, and this is not the first time I've heard it. Then it basically says teaching principles need more admin time and praises itself. There she goes, praising herself, saying the only. Uh, teacher training provided that offers a specialism in multi-class teaching uh, and working in small schools is the old non-secular DCU. Then it goes back on what it was saying and says that all studies indicate that girls' self-esteem can negatively be impacted by certain types of multi-grade situations. Anyway, look, I could go on, but basically the rest of the paper says DCU is great and teachers need more training in small schools. Sadly, like the rest of the papers, it actually never says anything around the value of how to save a small school. It talks a lot about the perceived values of small schools, but not how to save them. And the main research in the paper was basically asking people with a vested interest in small schools to state the value of those small schools. And that's basically what they got. So effectively, the small school symposium didn't really give us anything useful to save small schools or provide us with anything creative at all. The only chink of light was some sort of agreement that small schools need to share more. But really, if I was a small school uh, teacher or a small school principal, I would be extremely disappointed in the outcomes of the small school symposiums. Surely, surely somebody out there, has had a good idea. Surely somebody has realised that simply pumping infinite money or reducing pupil-teacher ratios or reducing workload for principals or having a curriculum especially for multi-grade classes or any of the other ideas from the symposium won't do a tap to save small schools. Surely there's one school in Ireland that succeeded. Sometimes it's best to hear from the soldiers on the ground, not the representative bodies. It's the principals of small schools. And it took the Irish times to go out and find them however it's a really really good article this is the best thing i've actually read about the whole thing on small schools a newspaper article in 2019 by carl o'brien and it's called "Ireland's small schools inside the battle for their future and i just have to read it almost in its entirety especially um especially this uh, the first school they profiled. it is a stunningly well written piece um and uh, i absolutely th- i have to say all the um well done to carlo ryan for finding schools uh who and principals on the ground who were able to talk about their situation so eloquently and really in some ways have opened my eyes a little bit to um what might be uh, what, what might be a good starting point I'm just going to read um, Isolt Mangan um, a friend of mine on Twitter actually who is the principal of Clochens Hill National School in County Mayo um, she does not need to do a roll call each morning instead she simply has to look down the classroom to see if all six pupils are there so one teacher school there are she says many advantages for children who learn in a one teacher school her pupils who range from third to sixth class get a chance to do more independent learning two of them are national coding champions even though it is not on the curriculum It's also very social. The classmates, she said, are well and truly friends for life. They don't miss out on anything, she says. We're a green flag school, a GEA school of excellence. To be honest, I think a small school like this is the best thing ever. But there are disadvantages too. A few months ago, she collapsed in class and passed out. The pupils began to panic. What would they do? How could they resuscitate her? Who would they contact? Luckily, there was a part-time special needs assistant present and Mangan came around quickly and ended up being admitted to hospital for emergency surgery for internal bleeding, but did not but not before waiting for parents to collect their pupils. It was that or cancel school and ask the parents to collect their children early, she says. Mangan has put her heart and soul into the school, but it has been a losing battle. Rural depopulation and younger families moving out of the area means there are no school-aged children locally the local shop is closed so too is the post office in two years time the school will do so too it's a heartbreaking decision says mangan i've given it my all the kids used to think i slept there at night and it's not that uh, it's not that i couldn't get pupils there are just none locally some of those coming here are driving past other schools to come here so it's just not sustainable she says and basically look ultimately this is my main point i know this school i i well i know it from twitter basically this is a very active school on uh, on social media so i I, i've got a glimpse of what goes on in there and it's a lovely lovely school and it's awful to see it's closing however it doesn't actually matter how much money could get put into it what kinds of innovations they've been doing or, or or whatever the school is gone and i honestly don't think this needed to happen i really don't think this needed to happen particularly Just as an aside, and I suppose I found an old RT documentary about this very school from 1974. Ryark is the name of the program. Uh, It's only three minutes and 12 seconds long, this clip. And it was when the school had 74 pupils. 54 of them came by school bus. 19 came by car or bicycle. And only one walked to the school. I mean, this is not an area where there's been a huge population yet they had 74 pupils in 1974. How did it get from that point to the fact there's only six pupils in total now? I decided to have a look around on the the Department of Education's map of school in Ireland, and this school is actually surrounded by, it's certainly five schools, maybe six schools, within a few kilometres of it. The biggest of them has an enrolment of 126 pupils, so there's 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 another one with 56 pupils and others with 24 and 26, and then Cloughan's Hill with the lowest. And I honestly can't see why, this is the school that has run out of peoples. I guess we'd have to ask the locals. Anyway, we'll move on with the rest of, with the of next part of the article. The death of many rural schools is explained by the sad legacy of history. Urbanisation and rural depopulation are a fact of life right across the globe. This week, the Minister for Education, John McHugh, held a symposium on how small schools can move from surviving to thriving. Yet his department in 2013 earmarked 200 small schools' potential closure. Sometimes there's extraordinary numbers of schools close to each other, On Ackal Island, for example, there are eight primary schools. Each of them have small numbers of pupils. In its 2013 report, the Department of Education concluded there is no evidence that small schools provide any greater educational benefits for the pupils, which would offset their greater costs. Now, I don't buy that, but anyway, that's what they said. The Irish Times likes that kind of stuff. However, closure or amalgamation provokes strong emotions. The school, along with the pub and the post office, is seen as the beating heart of communities. Little under then that the government sat on that report for two years. The findings were quickly dismissed by ministers after all there are no votes in closing schools where did we hear that before and really isn't that the way it is with everything in ireland anyway today schools are closed only with the consent of parents or its board management but is it really sustainable to keep so many open well he talked to a guy called Alan Wall, who's the Assistant Secretary at the Department of Education. Um, And he says, Ireland is not alone in grappling with these issues. Scotland, New Zealand and Australia have similar troubles. The issue is beautifully complex, he says. I don't know what that means. Sometimes parents bring children with them to local towns when they find work. Sometimes the traffic goes in the other direction with parents wanting small classes. The article continues with the same bland ideas from the various stakeholders in the small school symposium. The journalist is not convinced by the science of things, which is good, and believes while there are no silver bullets to the problem, he gives an example of one school uh, which has seems to have solved their problem, which is Derry Uber National School in South East Galway. So what did they do? Well, here we go. The school overlooking Loch Derg is just a few kilometres from the County Clare border. It was founded more than 160 years ago and once had 100 pupils. Some years ago it dropped to single figures and the prospect of closure loomed large. So far, so very similar to clochans Hill. And in three very short paragraphs, the silver bullet may have been unearthed. The principal said, The community came together. Instead of accepting closure, they pledged to keep it alive. People feel so attached because they went to the school, as did their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents. They fought hard for the school. I said, this is the principal, I am going to turn this school around with ye. We're all in it together, says Lowen. So a childcare and after-school facility was built that summer to encourage commuting parents to use it. And by the following September, eight children started school, which got numbers above the threshold for a second teacher. Six more are enrolled for next September, and if current trends continue, the school will have a third teacher very soon. Nowadays, the school opens at 7.30am, and the after-school goes on till 5pm, says Lowen. We have a breakfast club, we're introducing a hot dinner from a local restaurant for the after-school, on Monday mornings we have music, yoga and gymnastics. On Tuesday we have swimming. On Wednesdays we have hurling. The death of rural primary schools is not a given, he says. It has come full circle now and people are delighted the school is open. We have people actually coming back to the community. What a great... um, What a great story. Now, I'm not saying that any school that is closed... um, has closed because it's their own fault. You know, that would be a stupid thing to say. Yeah, this thing worked for... for um. The, this particular school but unfortunately population decline is happening and this is the main reason why small schools are closing and maybe clocking just was the loser in the survival of the fittest game no no fault of their own i also have to wonder where the pupils are coming from in derry uber for example population isn't growing and is it possible they're basically moving from other schools in the area so again i checked the map of schools in that area and there are nine primary schools within a 20 minute driving distance around 20 kilometer driving distance from the school um, google maps is great for distances anyway what well, that might not be the case either and to be honest i don't know why you need nine primary schools in such a small area they all have the same ethos by the way just as a as a as an aside, if there wasn't a big inlet beside it to the east, so there's a big kind of part of the, the lake, I think it's Loch anyway, to the east, there's loads of schools on the other side of that. And if you actually built a road bridge in the inlet, you could add another eight schools within 20 minutes travel. Now, anyway, I'm not proposing to build road bridges as part of my solution. I must say, after watching the documentary, um, Ryark, uh, that I mentioned there a few minutes ago, all three minutes and 12 seconds of it, it was really sad to see that in 45 years, the school going from 74 pupils to closing, However, what's worse is that while we might not have been able to save this particular school from shutting down completely, its history and culture could have been saved with some creative thinking. A community does not necessarily have to be one town's One village, it doesn't even have to be one town. A community is the people within the area and I genuinely believe that if we could change our mindsets only a little, we could make rural schools vibrant places which could in the long term increase populations of areas that are basically dying. And that's exactly where we're going to try and go next week with my own proposal to save small schools i hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every wednesday morning just in time for your midweek slump it's almost sure to get your blood boiling as we come to our conclusion and recommendations for my ideas to save small schools this podcast can be found on itunes spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either onShot.net or if i were the minister for education i'd really really appreciate you subscribing to this podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release please also feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily i think i may be beginning to understand the plight of the small school maybe i'm not in fact maybe i'm getting a bit cocky based on an irish times article however let's see what comes of it next week and thanks a million for listening again that's part three of one episode of OnShaw.net's if i were the minister for education we'll be back next week for the final part part four of how uh, we're going to save small schools thanks a million for listening talk to you next week bye bye